Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He's going to join us to discuss several sports business topics. In segment four, Sports Sense, Josh Pastner. He's the new head basketball coach at the University of Memphis. At 32 years of age, Pastner is one of the youngest head coaches in all of Division I college basketball. He's got big shoes to fill after the success of John Calipari at Memphis. But let me tell you what, Pastner's like the Doogie Hauser of college basketball coaching. If you haven't heard from Josh Pastner, you're going to enjoy this interview. And one of the things that was intriguing and one of the reasons I wanted to have him on this show, he's basically said no to any endorsement deals in his first year. He says, I want to prove that I'm a good head coach, and then I'll talk about endorsement deals. I like that attitude, and I like that approach. That's coming up in segment four. Josh Pastner, the new head basketball coach at the University of Memphis. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blogger. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. If you're looking for me on Twitter, at S. B Radio. I'm joined in studio by my producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby, the Yankees down the Phillies and win their 27th World Championship. While many people may be impressed with that, I'm not because they spent $201 million by far more than anyone in baseball. They should have won the whole thing. No, you know, it's going out and buying yourself a championship is what it really comes down to. Having the best players, period. But... Coming up in headlines, we'll give you the numbers as far as the TV ratings for Fox go during the World Series. They were stellar. Speaking of TV ratings, Brett Favre returned to his old stomping grounds last Sunday, Lambeau Field. Also on Fox, big week for Fox. Stellar TV ratings for that game as well. So, headlines coming up next, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, at the University of Oregon. We'll be right back with Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This 
is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Fox earned a 15.5 Nielsen rating Wednesday night for the World Series clinching Yankees-Phillies Game 6. The 15.5 rating is up 39.6% from the Phillies' two-night title clincher last year. If you remember, there was rain. took two nights for them to clinch the title against the Rays. The 0-9 Yankees-Phillies World Series on Fox averaged an 11.7 final Nielsen rating. That's about 19.4 million viewers. That's up 39% from last year's Phillies-Rays matchup. It marks the highest-rated and most Viewed World Series since the Red Sox Cardinals earned about 25 million viewers in 2004. Bobby, not that it was scripted this way, but every time you can host a playoff game, it's worth millions of dollars in tickets, parking, concessions, merchandise. The list goes on and on. And if you ask the Steinbrenners deep down, would you have rather clinched in Game 5 in Philly? Or in Game 6 in the new Yankee Stadium, where that will now be immortalized in pictures in the new Yankee Stadium forever. And, oh, by the way, we made a few million dollars in revenues that night by hosting it at our home ballpark. I think it turned out pretty well, all things considered, for the Steinbrenners. No, it totally did. And, you know, if we ask them, honestly, they probably wanted a Game 7 with a win. Because, you know, more money. But speaking of merchandise, I find it funny. Literally, as soon as the on-field interviews were over, first commercial up. The New York Yankees win the official, you know, he, you know, come online, buy Well, you the, know they have those in the can. Oh, I, I do, but the other funny thing is, as soon as the game was over, QVC rolled out the entire product line. Not just the on-field you know, like caps and t-shirts, but literally every jacket, everything, the jerseys, the whole nine. I just found it very funny. It's great timing by the businesses, and you know what? They're going to capitalize because people want that merchandise. Yeah, I'm sure Yankees merchandise will be big. As I said in the first segment, Yankees spent $201 million on payroll. They should have won the whole thing. The Phillies, by the way, $113 million in payroll. If you're keeping track, the Yankees in the last eight years spent $1.3 billion on on payroll and didn't win the World Series. So again, first championship since 2000, 1.3 billion got him nothing. 200 million this year, 201 million to be exact, got him a World Series title. Finally, A-Rod has a ring. Our next headline, Fox earned a 17.4 final Nielsen rating, 29.8 million viewers for the NFL National Window coverage on Sunday, which featured the Minnesota Vikings and Green Bay Packers in 91% of the markets. The telecast ranks as the highest-rated, most-viewed regular season NFL game since the Steelers-Patriots was featured on CBS in the National Window in December 2007. And it marks Fox's most-viewed NFL regular season telecast since the San Francisco 49ers-Dallas Cowboys earned 32.1 million viewers in November of 1995. Bobby, as we said on the show last week, this game was going to have huge numbers, and it lived up to the hype. No, it totally did. And I think the Fox executives are really happy that Green Bay kind of came back in the second quarter and then into the third quarter. For a while there, it was looking ugly. It was looking like, you know, Brett Favre would come into Lambeau and blow him out, but Aaron Rodgers did a really nice job bringing Green Bay back, and that just added to the whole entire drama, and you know people were calling, hey, you know, the game's actually really close, tune back in, tune back in, and I'm sure it sent the numbers higher. 
So when you put our last two headlines together between the World Series and Brett Favre's return to Lambeau Field, pretty darn good week for Fox. Our next headline, and we'll bring in our auto racing expert Bobby Corser for this one, IndyCar Series driver Danica Patrick is reportedly nearing completion of a two-year contract with JR Motorsports, the NASCAR Nationwide Series team co-owned by Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Rick Hendrick. This according to ESPN.com. Now, Bobby, she'll still race on the IndyCar Series, but she'll also compete in some NASCAR races at well, it looks like. Uh, what's the story behind this? I mean, I know this has been rumored for a long time that she'd race some NASCAR races. Do you think she'll eventually leave IndyCar altogether? Yes, I do. And I think it's maybe two or three years away, but this is her first step to get into the world of NASCAR racing. Now, yes, this is not racing with the big boys. This is the junior circuit. But still, it's experience for her. And you can't just jump in from, you know, IndyCar to, say, a stock car unless you're somebody like Tony Stewart. She's got to get a foothold somehow. And teaming up with Hendricks and Junior, there's no better combination Couldn't to do this that. backfire on her, though? If she goes into the, the junior leagues of NASCAR and doesn't win races, aren't people going to go, well, wait a minute here. She's not ready for the step up to the, you know, the big boy league. I, I don't think so right away. I think a lot of people will give her at least half a season. Here's the thing, though. Hendricks and Junior Motorsports are really, really good in the Nationwide Series. So they're going to put her in a championship-level car to start with, and it will come down to how well she competes against the boys. Well, I'll tell you what. This is the best return on investment for Dale Earnhardt Jr. with Hendrick, bar none, because he's stunk on the track. Oh, hands so if, down. if he can bring her in and make some money that way, at least he's bringing some value. And I'm saying that halfway tongue-in-cheek. I know he's still the most popular guy. On the NASCAR circuit, I know he sells a ton of merchandise, but his return on investment from a racing standpoint has been really disappointing. Our final headline of the week, you remember last week we told you about University of Central Florida sponsor Adidas and that they indicated that their five-year contract with the school could be in jeopardy if freshman Marcus Jordan, son of Michael Jordan, wore Nike Air Jordans during any games at University of Central Florida. Well, on Wednesday night, when Marcus Jordan stepped on the court, he stepped on the court with Air Jordans. Adidas released a statement, and they said they have chosen not to deliver on their contractual... Well, basically, they said UCF has chosen not to deliver on their contractual commitment to Adidas. As a result, we have chosen not to continue our relationship with them moving forward. So the current five-year deal was scheduled to expire in June. UCF and Adidas had reached a tentative agreement on a new deal worth $3 million that would run through 2015. So my guess is if Marcus Jordan stepped on the court wearing these shoes, that either Nike or the Jordan brand already has reached a deal with UCF because that's a lot of money, $3 million, for UCF to just wave goodbye to to let Marcus Jordan wear Jordan brand shoes. Especially to an athletic department that doesn't make a whole lot of money in return. Yes, it's a lot of money, and I, I, I really agree with you. I think there's been a backroom deal with Nike or brand Jordan that will be announced here shortly. So let's follow this story we'll see in coming weeks uh, when the next shoe drops. Pun intended there. All right, coming up in our next segment, Paul Swangard, the managing director from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. And then following that... 
in sports sense, Josh Pastner, the new 32-year-old head coach of the University of Memphis Tigers basketball team. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard, the managing director at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, thanks for taking time to join us on Sports Business Radio this week. Always good to visit with you, Brian. So, Paul, in recent weeks, we've seen TV ratings go up for the NFL. Major League Baseball had terrific ratings for the playoffs and for the World Series. NBA off to a strong start with TV ratings thus far this season. And I've got a little bit of a theory on this, and I want to get your opinion on it. Number one is HDTV. It's definitely becoming more and more common in households. It's a tremendous experience, great way to watch a sporting event. But then with the economy being what it is, a lot of people can't afford to go to sporting events live anymore. What do you think of my theory? I, you know, I think those are the two fundamental issues at play. I, I, I think people are, are finding the, the switching costs to, to stay at home and the convenience factor that's built into that experience. And, and to your point, the improved experience of watching games live at home is, uh, is challenging. And when you add on top of that that you know, every dollar that you spend in terms of discretionary spending is, is a coveted dollar to spend that you know, a lot of people have looked to uh, you know, try to save money by staying at home and, you know, for a – for a, a healthy season ticket package to a major professional sports team, I can trick out a room that uh, will give me access to almost every game and an experience that, uh, well, doesn't necessarily rival a live game experience. Uh, the beer's cheaper and the line of the bathroom is uh, a, lot, <laughs> a, lot, a lot smaller. So if you're a, a sports CEO, what do you do to combat the theory that we just talked about? Well, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the tension that probably exists in, in a lot of these league structures is there's a – you know, there's an absolute economic value to all of the league partners as a whole for driving TV ratings that could result in more advertising and, and more rights fees being paid and, and, and then distributed equally among the, uh, the teams in certain models and certainly in, in major markets uh, in the sport like baseball that, uh, you know, will, will benefit the Yankees and the Mets and the other big market teams. I think the, the message and the, and the warning across the bow to the team owners and their front offices is you've got work harder to win fans back in your building and it's it's more than just the product on the court it has to be uh, a convenient and entertaining experience at a price point that is 
um, is worth it to consumers. And, you know, in, in some cases, I think a lot of teams had, had lost sight of that. And, and when times were good, people were willing to spend almost, you know, anything to be at games. And certainly when you're winning, you know, that continues. But in a downturn in the economy with a mediocre product and a less than, uh, you know, less than entertaining, you know, envelope around that product, whether it be a older stadium or bad concessions or horrible parking, um, you know, that that is a recipe for disaster now, and the teams have to wake up and work a little harder for their business moving forward. Yeah, and the problem is is that player salaries continue to rise, so to try and make it more affordable for the fan is really difficult because you're paying more to your players. And, you know, a few years ago when I started this show, I thought that we'd see the day – not anytime soon, but sometime in the next 10, 20 years, where venues would be smaller and the people who'd be able to come to the game would be sponsors and, and the elite because everyone else would watch on TV or watch on their computer and they wouldn't be able to afford to go to the games anymore. And I'm wondering if we're not headed in that direction where we're, we've priced out the, the common fan. And again, the main problem for the owners is I'm paying players more, so how am I supposed to make tickets less expensive? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll give a shout-out to, to Rich Luker, who was a, uh, a, a Warsaw Center fellow for a, a year, a couple of years ago, and was the founder of the ESPN Chilton Sports Bowl. He was referenced in a really great article from Outside the Lines on ESPN.com, uh, kind of referencing that you know, that fact that, you know, ticket prices have increased faster than inflation for, you know, well over the past decade. And in many cases, the target market for that that live event uh, ticket is, you know, average household income of $150,000 plus. And, you know, there's just not enough of those people out there necessarily to fill every building. And in some cases, the experience, as you and I well know, having been to, you know, major sporting events like NBA All-Star and others, you know, quite honestly, the corporate-filled building is not a good live event experience. Um, it is because you know everybody, and you can go out into the uh, you know out into the intermission hallways and, and schmooze and do business. But um, you know the best thing about sport is that these are you know in, in some ways a cathedral experience where you join a community or congregation of of like-minded people and celebrate all that's great in sports. And if it's just a bunch of suits who can afford to be in it, um, I think it will uh, will damage that live game experience. And, again, like you said, people just sit at home and watch it on 52, 56-inch plasma and uh, and, and sip their uh, their low-cost beer and, uh, and enjoy that experience moving forward. We're joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, the Yankees this week win their 27th world championship is this a good thing for Major League Baseball or a bad thing? It's a great debate, one that we have, uh, you know, almost constantly in the classes that we offer here at the University of Oregon. You know, the, the, the challenge here is that I think that the polarizing franchises in, in all the Major League sports are are, are absolutely a, a good thing because, you know, whether you – like the like the Yankees or hate the Yankees, you usually have an opinion on the Yankees, and you know their uh, their ascension back to the the throne for the twenty seventh time probably helps uh, uh, you know fuel that uh, you know that love or hate relationship with them. But you know the challenge is, what do you say to fans in uh, in Kansas City and in Florida and some of the you know the the lower tier markets where the economics of baseball just will not allow them to have any chance. 
to spend the kind of dollars that New York is. And, um, you know, I think that to me is uh, is the struggle. You know, these teams, uh, you know, make up the Major League Baseball ranks, and yet uh, in most cases those fans have – you know, no chance of of seeing their teams be successful, or if they are going to be successful, like in the case of the Marlins, it's going to be a once every several years uh, phenomenon. And um, I'm not sure that fans necessarily resonate with um, you know living with a uh, mediocre team year in and year out. They you know they 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 love to see their teams win at least uh, or at least have a feeling that uh, ownership can put them in a position to win um, at least regularly uh, now and again. 2009 has been an interesting year. Iconic teams winning championships. The Lakers in the NBA, the Steelers in the NFL, and now the Yankees in Major League Baseball. I think that's definitely one of the reasons that we've seen really good TV ratings in the championship rounds of these sports, don't you think? Yeah, I don't think it bodes well then for my Canucks winning the Stanley Cup. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it does either, but uh, hopefully they'll come through for you. Uh, You know, just finishing up here on the Yankees, the Yankees are supposed to win, in my opinion. I mean, $201 million as their payroll, $52 million more than the nearest competitor, the Mets, this year. And they spent $1.3 billion on payroll in the last eight years, and it produced no championships for them. So if you're going to spend that much money, I mean, in business, if you're going to spend that much money and you don't get that return on investment, that's a failed investment. No question, and I think that's, uh, I guess, maybe the validation of, of this year's team is that, you know, they were able to put together a, a win, winning formula, and, and obviously they, they desperately needed that in a year in which we saw them go into a new building where, uh, you know, those prize uh, expensive seats behind home plate were uh, were rarely filled with uh, actual people. Um, so that winning is going to help them on the business side, but uh, I think the Yankees have learned a few things along the way back to what we were talking about earlier. They um, they moved to, into a building almost uh, neglecting the one thing they needed to be successful, which is the fans to pony up the money uh, to pay those salaries. And I think moving forward, uh, you know, we may see a change in, in somewhat of their business philosophy and in, in how they deal with their ticket holders and their fans. And uh, I, I dare say we could maybe see an era of a kindler, gentler uh, New York Yankees organization, which uh, I guess if you hate them would be refreshing. I'll believe that when I see it. We've got a few minutes left. Let's talk Oregon football. You're based in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, the Ducks are on quite a run. They just dismantled USC last weekend. And, you know, a few weeks ago, Paul, you were on the show, and we talked about the the black eye with LeGarrette Blunt, the player who was suspended after punching another player after the Boise State game. But it seems like that's been forgotten, and the Ducks and their brand have kind of had a renaissance here in the last few weeks. You know, uh, a wild, wacky story that will be written once this season is over, and who knows what the chapters are, are left to be written when the uh, when the final few games are played out. Uh, you know, you couldn't have asked for a worse start. Uh, the situation that occurred in, in Boise and then having a, a new head coach, a new president, and a new athletic director having to make some, you know, very critical decisions very quickly. Um, you know, I think, you know, this is another lesson for the fact that, uh, you know, winning – seems to help almost any, you know, controversy and that, uh, you know, had the team continued to struggle, the eventual decision as they've now uh, made it is to, you know, give LeGarrette a pathway back onto the team would have been met with a a lot more resistance. Now, uh, 
you know, the, the resistance is, well, I'm not even sure we need him uh, because the, uh, you know, the play of the backup running back has been so productive and the team has been playing so well. But, you know, the, the, you know, the culmination of this uh, reemergence of, of the brand, as you referred to it, really, uh, you know, came in this October 31st Halloween date where you had, uh, you know, the, the potential changing of the leadership guard in the Pac-10 on a Halloween night with game day. Um, another crazy uniform combination and uh, and a fan base that really uh, embraces the team um, in a in one of the great environments in college athletics. So um, you know they're back and uh, and showing all the things that I think uh, most who follow the team would want people on uh, on the national or if not international scale to think about, which is you know here's an exciting team, you know very hip and and forward thinking and. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get to a point where they'll actually change their uniform every quarter. That may be the next phase of their uh, their crazy marketing. I machine. wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him there. Hey, before I let you go, uh, what's new at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center? Well, we're 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 knee deep in the the fall quarter here. We uh, have just been having a, a lot of fun with uh, a healthy uh, group of speakers that have come through. We did a golf uh, industry event uh, last week up in the Portland area. And uh, we've been uh, doing our best, and, and maybe for the benefit of your listeners, who I know like to uh, learn as much as they can about the industry, we've begun to uh, take short video clips and interviews with a lot of the speakers that are coming through and posting it on our, our blog at WarsawCenter.com. So we encourage people to check that out or, or follow the Warsaw Center on Twitter and Facebook. And we'll uh, do our best when, you know, when Andy Dolich from the 49ers comes to town, Todd Lywicki from the Seahawks, uh, David Dunn, the uh, the super agent from Los Angeles, whenever those folks come to campus at the Warsaw Center, we'll try to share some of what they know uh, with all your listeners out there in, uh, in, I guess, digital radio land. Terrific, and we're looking forward to launching sometime early in 2010 right here in Portland the Sports Executive Speaker Series, and our first guest is scheduled to be Larry Miller from the Portland Trailblazers, the president of the Trailblazers, and We're hoping to do one of those per quarter. And who knows, maybe we'll spread those nationally. But uh, looking forward to teaming with the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center on those, Paul. Yeah, I think it's great where we can take advantage of uh, you know the type of people we draw into our campus visit series and, and be able to share that not only as you said with the folks up in the Portland area, but uh, you know we'll we'll have a plan I'm sure for world domination eventually, and uh, you know maybe this will be bigger than a, a speech at the UN. I don't know about that, but pretty big. So check out sportsbusinessradio.com and warsawcenter.com for information. We'll have more information on when that speaker series will begin and how you can get tickets and uh, all that good stuff. Paul, thank you so much for taking time to join us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. 
With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Josh Pastner. He's the head coach at the University of Memphis. He's the basketball coach there at age 32. He's one of the youngest head coaches in Division One basketball. Josh, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Brian, thanks for having me. So by the age of 13... You were publishing the Josh Pastner scouting report of local high school talent in the Houston area. You were coaching Houston's AAU basketball team when you were 16, and I saw you coach. Uh, you were a walk-on at the University of Arizona. You were part of the Wildcat team that won the championship in 1997. What led you to become so passionate about the game of basketball? Well, when I remember in fifth grade, I was in my parents' bedroom watching on the weekend. It was a weekend game. It was the Celtics versus the Lakers. And it was on you know one of the, the network channels, and, and I was watching it. And I remember turning to my father and saying, you know, Dad, if I can't play in the NBA, which I blame that on my parents because they blessed me with my lack of athleticism. But <laughs> I, said, I said, if I can't play in the NBA, the next best thing to playing is coaching. That way it would keep me staying in the game. And really since then – I really focused my energies uh, towards that towards that goal, and didn't mean that I didn't want to try to play in the NBA because I did everything I possibly could as in terms of working as hard as I could have to to, to maximize my potential. But like I said, there was limitations, and um, so as I got to a point where I knew that the the ending of of uh, uh, my career of playing wise was going to come to an end. I you know I wanted to make sure that I was ready and prepared to to take the next step and avenue to stay involved in the game. And I figured the next best thing to playing was coaching. And that's kind of the uh, even even the way that I got my degrees and 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 went through school and did some so I could focus and and when I had the opportunity to to be a head coach, ready for that and uh, and to jump into it right away. Yeah, you graduated in two and a half years, didn't you? Graduated in two and a half years, got my master's in one, uh, no summer school, no units coming in, and um, it was, it was you know, I completed 45 hours my freshman year, 42 my sophomore year, you have a, that's, a, that's 87, you need 120 to graduate. I took all 33 my first semester of my junior year, and then I uh, took um, 18 hours of masterwork my uh, sixth semester of of college and then my seventh semester i took 15 hours did the thesis and got my master's did a few few hours of phd work in my eighth semester of of uh of college so but i did that thinking you know what if i wanted to be a division one head coach what would look impressive to a president of a university that i'm serious about academics because i felt you know that academics was such an important part because the these young players are not athlete students they're student athletes and so if I can stress and show that this is so important that academics are just as important to me uh, as it is to you, President, then uh, I think that would give me a leg up. So that was my focus and my, my goal on that. So you worked under Lute Olson at Arizona. You worked under John Calipari at Memphis. What did you learn from these two basketball coaches? 
Well, Lute Olson's in the Hall of Fame, one of the greatest coaches in the history of our game. John Calipari will be in the Hall of Fame, and and the amount of wins that he's having is considered one of the best in the game today, regardless of level. So I've been very fortunate to learn under two of the the great coaches, and both guys. Um, one, and this is the bottom line: you got to have players. I don't care how good of a coach or what you know. This isn't rocket science. This isn't NASA. <laughs> this isn't the military. This is about you got to get good players and. If you got good players and they play hard, you're going to win your, your majority of the games. Bottom line, that's number one. Number two is keeping it simple. Got to keep it simple. Uh, you got to get the players, but then from there, keep it things simple. And thirdly, being really good at the at the basics, being really sound, being fundamentally sound, uh, um, just being doing things the right, the little details, the little things. So when you've got good players and you keep it simple, but they're really good at the basics, like I said, you're going to win your majority of the games. But the first part is is uh, you know, the, the great John Wooden once said, a great coach is one that, that can win with no talent. I never want to be a great coach. I always want to make sure we have players, and that would, uh, that would, that would at least assure us that we're going to have a chance to win every time we enter the game. Well, you've got a reputation already as a tremendous recruiter. When you're sitting in a living room recruiting a young man, Give me your recruiting pitch. What are the things that you're telling this person about why they should pick your program over any other program? Well, we got a, we've got so much to offer here. I mean, academically, socially, uh, the foundation, the fan base, athletically, facility-wise. Uh, this is an elite-level program, Brian. I mean, there, there's no different as in terms of facilities, uh, fan base, uh the the enthusiasm, the energy level. Uh, th- this is probably the only place in America, and I really believe this, that actually brings the city together. Where the act- the city's happiness and and sadness, maybe say, is really dictated by Tiger basketball, and that's that's the facts. I mean, people. They 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 bleed it. They love it. They 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 cry when we lose. They're they're, pat, they're angry when we lose. They're they're joyous when we win. It's and it's not. It's it's more than a college town because college towns have are like that. But this is a city that revolves around Tiger basketball and brings the city together. And uh, there's not any other place in America that does that. And uh, and that's why it's special to be part of that. You're starting with a clean slate at Memphis. You've never been a head coach before. Which is great. You know why? Because I'm undefeated. How many coaches out there can say they're undefeated? (laughs) That's true. What do you want people to know about Josh Passner as you start this upcoming season, your first as a head coach? Well, I've told everybody that um, it's going to take time. Nothing happens overnight. It's going to take time to build success. Uh, We lost a lot, so um, we're going to take a lump or two where we play against other teams that have good players and good coaches that want to win. And um, I just hope people understand that uh, it's going to take time to, to get to where we need to get back to. And um, nothing happens overnight, whether it's Mr. Fred Smith with FedEx when he built FedEx, whether it was from when John Calipari come, he, came in here or Lute Olson, uh, or when Ben Hallen went to UCLA or Bill Belichick, you know, um, it, it does, I can Bill Parcells, I can go on and on, any of the coaches or businessmen or business people, um, uh, Pat Summit taking over at ten, when taking over Tennessee. Nothing happens overnight. It takes time if you're going to build the foundation from the grassroots on up. So that foundation is built on solid, solid, concrete structure. So if there is a little adversity or you do take a little spill, it doesn't crumble. You don't want to be have it built on quicksand because when there's when it's built on quicksand or sand. And you have a and you have a moment of adversity or some downtimes. That's when it crumbles. So, having that 
built is so strong, but it takes time. It takes time, and people just have to understand that. Josh, you just mentioned a number of different coaches from different sports. Do you think it's easier to inherit a winning program as you have or to come in and take a losing program and try and turn that into a winner? Well, it's either way. You can look at it. There's three ways to look at life. Attitude is all about choice. It's not about condition. It doesn't about about anything. There's two things that are that are based on choice. That's your commitment level and that's your attitude. So when you wake up, you choose what kind of day you're going to have. No matter what's been affected to you and what's in your life, you choose. It's up to you. It's by choice. And it's the way you look at things. So you can look at the glass half empty or half full, or I choose to look at it as overflowing. And um, so you take over a program that hasn't won, and you the expectations aren't there, zero pressure, and you build it up, you'll look like a hero. If you take over a program that has won, um, and you're expected to keep it at that level, you can't have any slippage or any drop-off. And if you win, then it's probably you're kept that same way. Now, Either way, though, you could take a program that hasn't won. You could say, well, they don't have the same resources, whereas a program that has won, you've got some things in place, and you've got the resources, and you've got the excitement, and you've got the, the people filling the arena. So it's either way you look at it. Every job's hard job. Winning isn't easy. Winning is hard. Whether you're at a local fifth-grade buddy ball or you're in the NBA or whether, whether it's in a business world, um, anything that you may be doing, winning is hard because if winning was easy – it would, everyone would do it. Winning is hard, so it really doesn't matter what program you take over. Just to win, period, is hard, uh, and that's something that's that's part of the process. But that's what makes that's what makes a lot of time the results uh, fun for people and to see how things are going. And even though a lot of people judge you on your job based on wins and losses, but I really believe, especially in college and in high school and junior high, it's more about the wins and losses. It's about leading young people to making sure that they keep developing as human beings as student athletes to keep improving so when they leave the instant the great institution of the university of memphis or wherever it may be they are productive and responsible and accountable human beings within society and are making a positive difference to other people and able to give back i think that's the higher power of when you're when you have people involved in your life when you're a leader of, of young people just a few minutes left my guest is josh pastner he's the head basketball coach at the university of memphis he's about to embark on his first season as the head coach there. Josh, the real reason I wanted to have you on is... It wasn't, be- it wasn't because I was undefeated and it, it, I was a good-looking guy. That course, was not the real reason. That's not the real reason. The oh. thing, the story that caught my eye, and I thought, what a refreshing kind of a approach to things. You have turned down all endorsement deals that have come your way as you enter into your first season. And the reason I read that is... That it looks like you said, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't coached a game yet. I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. So once I've done that, then I'll take on those endorsement deals. Explain your reasoning because it looks like you're leaving a decent chunk of change on the table. Well, the, uh, you know, the only endorsement deal that I would take would be if uh, Beyonce Knowles wanted to have me in a video with her. But uh, I'm joking. Would you put uh, a ring on her? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm married. I'm married, and I've got, and I'm, I'm expecting a child. I have a stepson, and I'm expecting a child. My wife's pregnant, so uh, okay. Uh, my, I put my ring on on a, my wife's finger, but I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Beyonce Knowles. But anyway, that's 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 just for all giggles and laughs. But in all seriousness, um, the the reason I. You know, I've turned down opportunities, and I've told our athletic director I didn't want to do anything. And uh, because Memphis is such a big program, and you can get a lot of opportunities, especially within the city, because you know they want it. You want it tied to the to the Tiger basketball program, like I mentioned earlier in our conversation about what we, that 
the city revolves around it, but that um, I haven't won a game yet. I haven't done anything, and and I'm recognized that my ego's in check. It's not it's not about me. This is about the city. This is about the players. Like I said earlier, the players win your games. Like really, if you know. Nike or Adidas or whoever it may be, we're sponsored by Nike, and I love Nike. Um, but, you know, I say, hey, it's not the coaching, it's the players. And um, I always say that. So I, I, I understand things. I put things in perspective. I keep it in check, my ego in check. I got a huge word in front of my door, right in front of my desk here that says gratefulness. I'm just grateful for the opportunity that's here. And I want to win and, and lead young men and be great in the city and uh, and this is, should be all about the, the players, the former players. This should be about the city. This should be about the fans. And that's what I want it to be about because the success that we have is going to be directly resulted to them. It's not me. It's not me at all. And I recognize that if I win a 1,000 games, it's not me. It's not me. That means I've had good players. I've got a great university, a great fan base. That's really what it's about. So those opportunities should – go to them. Now, that doesn't mean in the future I don't do something because I don't know. I'll take that as year by year. But I'm never going to do anything that's not productive for, for what's best for this team, what's best for this city, and what's best for the university. So, But enabled to make sure that you keep that in check, it's keeping the ego in check. And again, money, yes, are you, are you losing some money doing that? Probably. But, you know, the good Lord blesses you what you're supposed to have, and you go from there. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been around you and you're like the Doogie Hauser of, of basketball coaches. You are just, and I this... wanted to be, but I, I, you know what? I love the Doogie Hauser show back in the day. And I wanted to, I wanted to be, I was thinking, man, can I be a, I would being a doctor. That would have been unbelievable. Think about being a doctor when Doogie <laughs> Hauser was 15. So, uh, he was way far advanced than I was because he was going into, into real life work, into, into saving people's lives. I'm just, I'm like a kid in the candy store, able to coach basketball, lead young men and, and talk to good people like you, Brian. Well, Josh, I appreciate you taking the time. I think you're going to have a fantastic career ahead of you, and I think you're actually making yourself more attractive with your approach to, hey, I haven't done anything yet. Then once you have, people are going to line up to uh, tie their brands to you and your brand. And, uh, you know, best of luck this year. I think you're going to build something special there at Memphis. Brian, I appreciate it. Let's talk in the future. Call anytime. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. A few quick sports business tidbits before we let you go this week. Comedy Central's The Colbert Report 
has become the primary sponsor of the U.S. speed skating team. I love it. And the name Colbert Nation will be emblazoned on the team's uniforms. It's according to Jake Coyle of the AP. The show isn't paying the team any money directly. Rather, Colbert is calling on his fans to donate to the team via ColbertNation.com and USSpeedSkating.org. AP notes the U.S. speed skating team's largest annual cash sponsor, DSB Bank NV, left the team in the lurch after it declared bankruptcy in October. They were scheduled to pay $300,000 for the sponsorship but failed to make any payments. So when you're watching the 2010 Winter Olympics, look for the U.S. speed skating team wearing Colbert Nation. I think that's pretty cool. And the Red Sox and Bruins in Boston. They're going to be renting out the temporary rink that will be constructed inside Fenway Park ahead of the January 1 NHL Winter Classic for corporate events and pickup hockey games. If you want to skate in Fenway Park in the rink, the going rate is going to be $7,500 to $10,000 an hour. This is according to Fenway Sports President Sam Kennedy through the Boston Globe. They say there's no shortage of folks lining up to reserve the time. Again, if you want to skate in Fenway Park, you better bring your wallet and get on it quickly. A lot of thank yous this week. Our guests, Josh Passner, the head basketball coach at the University of Memphis. Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. You can also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, and subscribe to our podcast every week. Follow me on Twitter, SB. Radio is my handle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. We'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. Have participated in McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.